I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. My guest is Emily Weiss, founder of the online beauty products company Glossier. Emily launched Glossier's first line of skin products in 2014. In 2010, she founded Into the Gloss, an online community dedicated to beauty. Visitors get tips on skin, hair, makeup, and learn the beauty routines of leading members of the cosmetic and fashion industries. Prior to starting Glossier and Into the Gloss, Emily was a fashion assistant at Vogue and W Magazines. Welcome. Thank you. You know everything about me. Is that all there That's is? That's it. That's it. We can stop. Well, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thank you so much. How would you describe what Into the Gloss is? The reason for being for Into the Gloss is really that as a, um, in the time I was a 25-year-old, style-minded, you know, very enthusiastic consumer of beauty and um, fashion. And I'd always loved beauty products, but I really didn't know where to look except going to a store to talk to someone who I'd never met before to give me advice. I thought that seemed kind of silly. So what I wanted to do was interview all my heroes. You said this interview will be an hour, and I was like, oh, no problem. I do this all the time. I sit on floors of women's bathrooms from Ariana Huffington to Alexa Chung to, you know, Selena Gomez and Isabel Morant and ask them about their approach to beauty. Mm. And that's not a simple question. The idea was really to bring beauty to the Internet in a, in a meaningful way. Where does the conversation go beyond what is my beauty regimen? Oh, all, all over. If you think about it, your, your, your relationship to beauty begins at a very young age, from watching your mother and what she does, from not being allowed to use certain things and then, you know, having to go out on your own, you know, from learning how to shave your legs to cutting yourself open to, you know, crazy eyebrow trauma suffered in teen years, tadpole brows. So it's not just the kind of us weekly what's in your bag. It's not just what you're currently doing. It's everything that's gotten you there. One's relationship with beauty, it's such a personal and complex uh, relationship, yet there were so few places that you could go to where people were talking about just that mm -hmm. in 2010. And it's striking how, you know, fashion is much more public, right? Mm -hmm. Fashion has been pervasive. It's in every magazine. And it's sort of like beauty's coat. Yeah, I think I, I, I like to say that's a really insightful comment because um, even from the beginning of Into the Gloss, I was kind of mad. I, I started to understand that beauty is almost like this kid's sister, this ugly stepsister to fashion. Like the clothes come first. It's all about the outfit. It's all about the shoes. And then you figure out your face and your hair kind of after. Ironically, because that's probably, you know, what's most personal and important to every person. Right. Ironically, it's like really this... Um, I mean, who isn't tormented by their hair, right? You're always figuring out what to do with it. So I think it is, I often in my life found that I started with beauty. Even just, you know, anecdotally, like changing my hair from brown to platinum blonde a couple of years ago, I was like a whole different person. People didn't recognize me. And then I started dressing in an entirely different way. We started this interview with a sound check where I asked, you know, what what did you eat this morning? And you said, you, you know, you're on a cleanse and mm -hmm. you're eating these shakes with almond butter and what else? So many things. Flaxseed oil, coconut oil, uh, almond milk. The, the reason I mention it is, you know, it's sort of like the gas in your gas tank that, that helps to bring the beauty to totally. the surface. It's all about the self in a way. Yes. And I think of Maslow's like hierarchy of needs. We have warmth and and food and, you know, so next comes like self-actualization as part of all that, right? <laughs> I can't believe you're saying this because this is actually what I've been kind of banging on about is 
in the beauty industry, it's been founded on, I mean, you're talking about a, a quarter trillion dollar global industry. It's a storied industry with heritage brands like Estee Lauder and Helena Rubinstein and Elizabeth Arden who have, you know, were built 50 years ago and 60 years ago um, when technology was totally different, when communications and media were completely different, mm-hmm. and when women were completely different. And I think, you know, when those women created these really pioneering companies, they were addressing the needs of women at that time. Mm-hmm. And I think a big message that happened was very much about glamour, very much about fantasy, very much about a homogenous sort of um, image of perfect and white picket fence and husband and lady of leisure and, you know, blonde kids running around with a Labrador and Palm Beach and, you know, this sort of high life. And I think right now, I mean, it just couldn't be more different for the most part in terms of what women aspire to. Mm -hmm. And I think what women aspire to now is self-actualization. And that has replaced this sex sells fantasy. Mm -hmm. So it's not self, it's not sex sells. I actually think it's self sells. I mean, most of my friends, at least I can't speak for all women. When I think about what I aspire to, it's to be the best version of your Self, but you don't aspire to clone, you know, Eva Longoria on the red carpet. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's not the ticket to a better, to a happier me. I'm Jessica Harris. You're listening to From Scratch. My guest is Emily Weiss, founder of Glossier, a digital direct-to-consumer beauty products company. She's also the founder of Into the Gloss, a website focused on beauty that she launched in 2010. Going back to the early days when you were starting your blog, mm-hmm. uh, you were working full-time at Vogue for Elisa Santisi, the mm-hmm. style director. You would uh, work on your blog when? Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I thank God I did that when I was like 25 because I would not be able to do that now because um, it took a lot of stamina. But uh, I would transcribe interviews from, you know, four in the morning till eight and then put up and write and edit whatever photos or, you know, interviews and then go to work by 9.30. And then I would typically shoot the features, you know, upcoming features on the weekends. And Sally Singer, the Vogue editor, Vogue.com. She was your first uh, top shelf feature. Top shelf is on your site. You interview people about their beauty regimen. Tell me about that. That was just amazing because I admired Sally. I mean, really, it was an opportunity at 25 to be in a room and actually have FaceTime with these women who I just so admired. And And not just any room. You're in their their bathroom. bathroom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and you're kind of disarmed. You're seeing something unsavory, no matter what. There's always like something weird. There's like a weird toothbrush that's frayed and you're like, damn, I wish I would have thrown that out. You know, like you're in it together. Have you ever uh, done a top shelf interview where you've you've been surprised by what people's uh, beauty routine is? I don't know. What are some some unlikely finds? I'm always interested in people's aversion or inclusion of plastic surgery. So mm-hmm. I'm always really, you know, I always kind of ask. Sometimes I really ask if I if we're having a certain rapport. You know, I'm like, hey, do you ever get anything done? Do you ever get like, especially women of a certain age, you know, like you're like, so how do you look so good? <laughs> you know, tell me. And so I'm always, it's always interesting to me who kind of fesses up and who doesn't. Um, And I have no judgment either way. Some people just are very casual and are like, yeah, I get Botox. I go go to this doctor. I go every six months. It's great. And other women are like, oh, no, I I would never. But you know what? That's personal information. So it's it's whatever you want. I want to talk about your your background. You grew up in Wilton, Connecticut, although you spent, you lived in the South also because your father worked for Pitney Bowes. Yes. Now, Pitney Bowes, they put the, the stamping meter on 
on mail, Postage right? meter. Postage yeah. meter. Yep. So can you t- tell me more about your dad's job <laughs> and and your, your, your view of his job? Sure. So the first thing I can tell you about my dad's job is never think that um, that's a fun game to play, just running pieces of paper through the postage meter to make cool designs because actually you're printing money. Because uh, you had a Pitney Bowes machine in your we house? We did, yes. We had a Pitney Bowes machine in the basement, a postage meter. And your mom is a homemaker. Yes, and um, and my dad's job. I mean, what I've what I've learned from my dad and what what how I viewed uh, my dad is he is the American dream. I mean, he is from a you know middle class family in Ohio. Um, didn't graduate college. He started working as a door-to-door salesman of Pitney Bowes products uh, in his early 20s. He used to hand stamp his business cards. Funnily enough, he made my own first Into the Gloss cards with me. We did these little nail polish drops on every card. So we, each card was different, had a different color. And he ended up rising through the ranks to become um, president of Pitney Bowes. I learned a ton about you know perseverance and patience and, um, and hard work. Um, there's probably not really many people out there who could say that I'm not hard, extremely hardworking. Even with Into the Gloss, I, I had, I spent, I think, $750 of my own money to, uh, you know, invest, quote unquote, in the building of, of Into the Gloss as a blog and bought a camera for $500 and, you know, that was it. What about your mom? Every woman in her moments has some communication with her daughter. Yeah, with with her daughter or even unspoken. Like, what did that look like? I mean, I was very self-motivated by style and beauty. People often say, oh, you know, where did it come from? And it really didn't come from family. I think it came from media and from magazines like Vogue and from movies like Clueless and being in the mall. Um, And I just loved it. And my mom just supported it and was really like, you know, you look crazy, but if you really want to go to school like that with like over the knee stockings, then like you can, but you're 12. So know that that's unusual. And I would say, I know I'm going to go anyway and get made fun of. Um, and then what about her? Like what are, what are images? You know, I think of my mom, she had those curlers, you know, oh, I love yeah. putting curlers She's in my pretty, hair. My mom's pretty like wash and go. Her hair, we have the same hair. It's straight, stick straight. It's brown. Were you judgy? Did you judge her when you no. were going through your... Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean... No, I would just be like, let's go shopping for me. <laughs> uh, you wrote letters to Vogue when you were like 10 years old? I don't know how old I was, but one was published, and it was a reaction to a Arthur Elgort short skirt story. Arthur Elgort's this like fabulous photographer, and I remember writing this letter, editor's letter to Vogue and saying, you know, I really appreciate as a young woman your portrayal of miniskirts as like something that can be very classy and done tastefully and like done well and like bravo. And they, <laughs> they published it. I mean, it's not like that big of a deal, but imagine you're like flipping through a, your new issue as like a 14-year-old and yep. you see your name and it says Emily Weiss, Wilton, Connecticut. I'm like, I'm famous. This is awesome. Now, what were some defining moments uh, in in your path towards what you're doing now that, you know, you look back on in retrospect? I would say the, the biggest, you know, moment for me and Mark, especially in my professional career, was my work with Elisa Santizi when I was, um, you know, 23 to 25. I mean, I was a really precocious, I was probably 
I was not probably, I was a pain in the ass, like for sure. Cause I'm super ambitious. I'm really precocious. I say, I have no filter. I say what's on my mind. It, I'm probably like the worst assistant, but she was so patient with me and we had so much fun. I learned so much from her that I would say it was really the first time in my life I had really um, worked so closely with another individual. Mm. Like I'm usually a real loner and it was really the first time I thought, oh, you know what? I really like teamwork. <laughs> and and I think that was a big, a big moment. Now, did you know when you were launching this blog that, yes, I want to convert this into something much larger or did that kind of happen accidentally? No, it ha- I knew it would be successful, but I didn't know what success meant, if that makes sense. So I, I was an art major at NYU. I never took a business course. And then I figured it out because it was like, oh, I get it. You have, um, if you are a media company, you make money through advertising. So let's get some advertising, you know. And, then and that's I had where a, Carrie Diamond comes exactly. in. Exactly. So who's Carrie Diamond and how was she helpful? So I told two people about Into the Gloss. Of course, I told my boss and I said, I'm starting this blog. And is that okay? And she said, sure. And the other person who I went to was Eva Chen. She heads up fashion at Instagram. But at the time, she was the beauty director of Teen Vogue. And I had never actually worked with Eva. But I asked, hey, can I come talk to you about this crazy idea I have? She said, this is great. You absolutely need to do this. And you need to go meet Carrie Diamond. Carrie is this visionary at Lancome, the beauty company. I hounded Carrie Diamond. I wrote her all these emails. She's like, who is this person? And finally, I called her one day and she answered. And I was like, I gotcha. Like, hey, it's it's me. And she's like, what? And I'm like, hey, can I just come? I'll come anytime. She was like, can you be here in 20 minutes? I said, no problem. So I went to her office at Lancome and I showed her my little sketch of what how the website would look because it wasn't up yet. And she said, this is great. Have you talked to any other brands? And I said, no, I don't even know what I'm talking about. To, about. What are we talking about? And she said, good. I'm going to give you, I think it was like 2000 or 5000 or something. She was like, I'm going to give you $5,000 and I want an exclusive for six months on like all your banner ads. And I was like, great. I don't know what a banner ad is, but like we'll build it. Mm-hmm. And thank you. It was it was great. It was like, hey, I have the you know ears of at least one person at this very, very big company who believes that we're onto something. I want to talk about raising capital for a moment. Um, Investors include uh, Kirsten Green's uh, Forerunner Ventures, Mm -hmm. the entrepreneur Andy Dunn, who founded Bonobos, Josh Kushner's fund Mm -hmm. Thrive Capital, the venture capital fund founded by the founder of The Gap, Bill Fisher. Talk to me about that process. And what is it that you told them you wanted to build? The, the, The most influential beauty company of our generation. Kirsten Green, you know, is is really someone to note here because venture capital is a highly male-dominated industry, as is the tech industry, as is the startup industry. And Kirsten's fund, it's noteworthy, is all females. She has, I think it's like four women who work with her. So despite the dearth or the scarcity of women, both at venture firms, but also, you know, starting starting companies, like what pushback did you, did you face? I think in life in general, we as humans go off a lot of familiarity and a lot of pattern recognition. And when you're thinking about a room full of men meeting someone like me, coming in and talking to them about something they know nothing about, it's a much harder sell. Mm-hmm. You need to then support it with a ton of data. You need to support it with a ton of numbers. It needs to be really understandable why your mascara is better than the mascara down the street, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's something that 
I don't expect a table full of men to know as well as if I had come in and started talking about, you know, Dropbox. Did you explain? Yeah, why I explained. I, I tried to understand what would help them understand so what, the what, beauty, you know, the beauty market and walking through the drugstore and trying to pick out a lipstick out of a wall of 700 lipstick colors that you can't even test because they're wrapped in plastic is also hard. <laughs> And going to Sephora and talking to someone who you've never met before who has no idea, you know, who you are is also not ideal. So being able to talk about, you know, the direct-to-consumer relationship that we want to build through our background as being really expert storytellers and expert communicate, you know, really being able to to communicate um, on the channels that women are on like Instagram, like Snapchat, like, you know, our website and through the comment section and building a company where we really want to engage her, you Mm -hmm. know, and actually really want her to help build it with us and tell us what she's into and us be able to respond to her rather rather than this um, kind of archaic way that a lot of brands just have in their DNA where they say, we know best, we're going to make something over here in a place that you can't see and you don't know us and we're going to throw it over the fence and then we hope you like it, you know, but we're not really going to talk about about it with you is mm-hmm. is all a little bit like funky. That's a lot of the conversation we had. Building a cosmetics business is very different from building a blog. And so, you know, talk to me about like the chemistry of, of these products, because, to you know, I, I'm kind of a skeptic. Like I look at all this and I'm, first of all, overwhelmed. And I'm like, you know what? They're all work the same. <laughs> they all have water and, you know, X, Y and Z, you mm-hmm. know, in the first three ingredients. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about just like the raw chemistry behind yeah. how you went about it. Absolutely. It's a great question. And it's one that many women have. Um, so the first first thing that we did was hire an expert in-house who's product development, you know, done it for 10 years and surrounded ourselves with various advisors and also hired and contracted a independent chemist to work on developing with us, translating all of our ideas and our crazy, you know, ideas and our wants and our needs, kind of like an architect would with a home mm-hmm. and um, would say, okay, let me create this recipe for you. And it's been called, it's a democratic skin line for yep. the Instagram generation because the prices are accessible. Yes. They're $12 to $28. One fun part of all of this is that it comes in a bubble wrap bag <laughs> that kind of has a pink tint, mm-hmm. and that's kind of kid-like. Yeah, because <laughs> I think beauty should make you smile. Like, it shouldn't make you feel like, I can't afford this, or it shouldn't make you feel like, should mm-hmm. I use this last drop of eye cream because if I use this and I'm out, and maybe I'll just use this one on Sundays? It's like, no, you should be able to use this all the time, not sweat it. You can have everything that we make, our whole collection for under, I think, $200 now. Right. You know, you're like a baller mm-hmm. for having like, like everything. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. My guest has been Emily Weiss, founder of Glossier. If you would like to learn more about the show, please visit our website at fromscratchradio.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Jess G. Harris or find us on Facebook. I'm Jessica Harris. This is From Scratch. From Scratch.